Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, California's eviction moratorium, now extended through June, has helped thousands of renters who've lost income stay in their homes, but many are accumulating crushing debt. Meantime, as high earners working from home flee overpriced apartments in cities like San Francisco and Los Angeles, they've driven up rents at suburbs and home sales have boomed. We look at how the pandemic has shaken up housing in California and whether debt relief and other efforts to help people struggling the most will be enough. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Rents may be dropping in California's coastal cities and urban cores as million of high, as middle or high income earners leave for more space to work from home. But that doesn't mean rents are affordable for most people, especially those who've lost income from the pandemic. Nearly two million California renters reported being behind on their rent in a December U.S. Census survey. Pandemic job losses have hit low-income renters hard, as many struggled with housing costs even before COVID-19. Eviction moratoriums have helped, but renters are accumulating debt while small landlords struggle to pay mortgages. Joining me now is Molly Solomon, housing affordability reporter for KQED News. Molly Solomon, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Mina. Also with us is Carol Galante, a professor of affordable housing and urban policy and faculty director at the Turner Center for Housing Innovation at UC Berkeley. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Carol Galante. Great to be here. Also, Liam Dillon is with us, a statewide housing affordability and neighborhood change reporter for the Los Angeles Times. Hi, Liam Dillon. Good morning. So, Liam, you've reported on the sharp drop in evictions in 2020. But remind us how far state and federal protections really go with regard to rent. Yeah, so um, there is a pretty robust protections at the past the local, state and federal level that uh, aim to prevent uh, evictions for those who are behind on rent uh, for essentially for coronavirus related reasons. Either they've gotten sick themselves or they have a family member who's ill or, you know, sort of the broadest group is they lost job or lost work um, as a, due to stay at home orders or other things that are done to try to uh, 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 be public health measures. And so um, in theory, um, no one who uh, has been affected like that uh, is allowed to be evicted uh, in, in this state due to the variety of protections that are that are there. Now, the reality is certainly we've seen um, some folks fall through the cracks um, and, and actually face potential eviction. But the, 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 the idea is that, that no one uh, in this situation should be getting evicted right now. 
And it's not as if people haven't been paying any rent at all. We were talking last fall about worries about having to pay some portion of rent. Yeah, under the state rules, um, at least uh, in, in recent months and going forward, uh, tenants are required to pay uh, a quarter of their rent right now um, uh, in order to be able to access some of these eviction protections. That's and, Right. And, and Molly Solomon, as you've just recently reported, evictions still happen. I mean, you talked about how 500 people just in the Bay Area, more than 500 people have been evicted, even with moratoriums in place, and that you think that's likely an undercount since that number only reflects when sheriff's departments get involved. Can you explain how evictions still happen? Yeah, you know, what we found in the data that we requested and and looked at, which came from sheriff departments in all nine counties of the Bay Area, is that, you know, despite there being this moratorium that's out there, there are still people who are being evicted and being removed from their homes. Um, And, you know, like Lynn was saying, you know, if you've been able to pay a quarter of your rent, you're protected right now if you've been impacted in some financial way uh, from coronavirus or if you've lost your job because of it. Um, But, you know, evictions we found were still happening for people who maybe weren't able to pay that quarter Uh, of their rent or for people who already had evictions that they were facing before the pandemic hit. You know, if you got an eviction notice in in January or February before those state lockdown measures took place, maybe your case got put on hold uh, because the courts closed for a period of time. But once courts started opening up again, eviction courts started opening up as well. And those cases are now going forward and have reached the sheriff's department. And in terms of that number, you know, we found 527 individuals and families in the Bay Area. Um, You know, tenant attorneys have said that's probably an undercount uh, because we're just looking at the people who have reached, you know, the point of the eviction, the very end of the eviction, where the sheriff is called out to, to, you know, essentially kick you out of that home. Uh, But there are a lot of people who might have had unlawful detainers filed who got scared and just left early, or perhaps their landlord had illegally locked them out of their unit. Um, So this is only showing us like a very narrow number. There are likely a lot more people who have left their homes in the pandemic. And we're hearing, Wally, about vacancies now in the Bay Area, rents dropping. But is this any place for people who are being evicted for the reasons that you say? Are they affordable for them? Can they go somewhere? You know, that's a good question. I think that's like a headline that we've seen a lot during the pandemic is like, you know, San Francisco rents plummeting. Um, But, you know, you got to kind of look a little bit at like, you know, what rents are plummeting and what does it mean when the city's most, you know, expensive rental market is dropping? You know, it's still above, you know, I think it's about 2300 was the average rent in San Francisco that it's dropped down to, according to Apartmentless latest, you know, survey that they did and sent out. But you know, that's still pretty unaffordable for a lot of low income folks that are facing eviction right now and maybe have lost their job. So I think you've got to think a little bit about, you know, we've almost got like two or probably more than two different rental markets that we're talking about. And when you're at the pretty low income or extremely low income level, uh, even with rents falling in parts of the Bay Area, like it's not rents that are at that affordable level. These are rents that are at a much, you know, higher income, you know, luxury condos in Soma uh, that are already, you know, that are out of reach even with this, you know, decline of, you know, 20% or so in rent prices. And Carol Galante, meantime, those renters who have been able to use the eviction moratorium to stay in their homes, they're still accumulating, in some cases, 
really crushing debt. And could you lay out the dangers of this level of debt that, that some renters are facing here? Yes, well, I think one of the uh, hidden elements uh, here are that people who have continued to pay their rent uh, during the eviction moratorium, so they don't get evicted, they're paying their 25% or maybe they're paying more. I mean, there are many uh, tenants who were uh, using their credit cards or, um, you know, borrowing against whatever savings they had or using their savings uh, that they had uh, to pay rent bef even before the eviction mor moratorium was put in place. So, you know, they were, um, you know, trying to basically stay as current as possible. And so I think there there is significant uh, debt that um, exists back rent owed across the country, but certainly here um, in the Bay Area and California. Uh, you know, I do think the extension of the moratorium that the legislature just passed and the governor just signed that, you know, pairs the eviction moratorium with some uh, rental assistance to assist in paying uh, that back rent will be a significant um, you know, a significant help uh, to many of these tenants. But, you know, there are some who clearly won't qualify for that, uh, you know, and you know, we'll, we'll see how much money, uh, how far, the, how far the money goes too. Yes. I mean, Liam Dillon, can you talk about the state's recent debt relief legislation and why it's, it's being called potentially helpful, but also somewhat concerning? Yeah, so um, this is money that came out of the most recent uh, federal coronavirus relief package that was passed uh, under the prior administration, under the Trump administration back in December, uh, $25 billion nationwide that was approved for um, rent relief, and with California getting a little more than $2.5 billion, so um, you know, roughly 10% of that. Uh, what the state did last week was approve a plan that kind of uh, aimed to divvy out or divvy up that money. Um, the state controls about half of it and the rest of it goes to kind of localities, uh, bigger cities. So LA gets its own money, uh, San Francisco gets its own money, Oakland, other big cities get get their own money uh, from this from this two and a half billion dollar chunk. Uh, and under the state plan, the idea is that if landlords um, accept sort of 80 cents on the dollar, right, of what they're owed in uh, in rent debt from their low-income tenants, then the other 20% is, or 20 cents is wiped away. And so the idea is, you know, landlords would have to share in the pain a little bit, um, but get guaranteed money that otherwise wouldn't necessarily or probably wouldn't necessarily be available to them. Um, I think some of the concerns that have been raised by, uh, I think, tenant advocates in particular, is that the rules for this are Kind of complicated um, and, and require, you know, similar to, I think, in some ways to the eviction protection, some hoops to be jumped through. And the concern is, you know, lower income tenants may not um, may not have the, the 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 wherewithal or ability to deal with some of these issues, particularly for landlords who are reluctant to take this deal. The landlords don't have to. And so in those cases, you could end up in situations where, uh, you know, tenants could be still be facing kind of massive debts. Um, uh, as they work their way forward through this. Why would landlords be reluctant to take the deal? I mean, on paper, 80% of what is owed to them sounds like a great deal. Sure, it does. But I mean, who knows? You know, I mean, I think it, it's really hard when you talk about different kinds of situations around the state. You know, one thing that comes to mind, we did, we have talked or you brought up already 
um, big rent declines in, in major cities, uh, bigger cities, coastal cities across California. However, some of the same cities have rent control policies. And for some longtime tenants, uh, those folks may be paying way below what the market rate would be, way below what the market rate would be uh, even in this environment. And so uh, landlords uh, of those tenants may be looking to situations where they can um, oust some of those tenants who may be behind on their rent uh, and use this as a, as a way to do that then be able under state law reset the rents to what the market is right and so like all of these kind of complications i think could um get get to get to a point where landlords may say that the deal that they're being offered isn't uh, isn't good enough and they may have other motives to uh to try to want to get rid of the tenants that are in their buildings now and we're just coming up on a break liam but i'm wondering could you just explain what the situation has been like for landlords especially smaller landlords who don't own their properties outright Right. And I do think it's this conversation. Sometimes we do, you know, uh, forget that, that, as you said, some smaller landlords, um, you know, they have bills to pay, right? And that they pay their bills, for, you know, for, for predominantly through the rent that they get, right? Um, and, you know, landlords have been offered um, and uh, uh, through federal protections, um, so ways to postpone, called it's called forbearance, uh, some of their mortgage debts. But that doesn't mean that they still don't owe taxes, um, still don't owe um uh, you know, other bills, maintenance bills, right? Those bills continue. And so, uh, you you know, you certainly, and landlord groups have told me this, um, fit, be a situation or could see a situation where there's a risk for uh, for foreclosure if they don't get um, the rent money that in some way cases could be going on, you know, close to a year at this point. And so it's kind of, uh, and I know Carol has written about this as well. I'm speaking about this as well. There's kind of a, you know, sort of structure of the housing market here that if you knock out one leg of that stool that really can have significant effects to the to the entire uh, to the entire market. We're talking with Liam Dillon of the Los Angeles Times, Carol Galante, a professor of affordable housing and urban policy at UC Berkeley, and Molly Solomon, housing affordability reporter at KQED News. We're talking about how the pandemic is affecting California's renters and landlords and shaping the housing market. And we'll have more with them and you after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about how the pandemic is affecting California's renters, landlords, shaping our housing market. And we want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. How is the pandemic altering your housing situation? What role do you think government, state, local, federal, what role do they need to play in helping people who are struggling the most? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum, or email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org. We're talking with Molly Solomon, housing affordability reporter for KQED News, Liam Dillon, statewide housing affordability and neighborhood change reporter for the Los Angeles Times, and Carol Galante, professor of affordable housing and urban policy and faculty director at Turner Center for Housing Innovation at the University of California, Berkeley. And Carol Galante, one of the other questions that has come up is whether the $2.5 billion from the federal government is enough to cover 
the rent that is owed. Can you talk about what the estimates are here? So I think it's really uh, difficult to uh, say whether it will be enough. Uh, you know, the legislative analyst uh, of the state of California came out with some numbers that I think many of us thought were surprisingly low in terms of the amount of, you know, uh, back rent uh, due. And I think it was something like, I don't have the exact number, but I think it was something like, uh, you know, $480 million, something compared to the two and a half uh, billion that is being allocated. Uh, so, you know, I, you know, our estimates um, would be closer to the, you know, uh, over a million people who uh, need uh, assistance. So it, it, it's really hard to say whether this will be enough. Um, I, I would say it is the pot that we have to work with. And I think the uh, structure of the state uh, plan uh, is is a good one. Uh, the 80% of, you know, paying of back rent and uh, then you are eligible, that tenant is eligible for uh, several months more payment forward. I think the other question is, will people be in a position of, you know, then paying their rent, you know, in in July of this year, will will the economy be back on track? And you know, I think that's um, I think it's going to be slower than uh, perhaps uh, you know these numbers would enable us to get through. And I think that's the concern: what happens when you hit uh, July? Because what could potentially happen if we're still in this situation come July? It, it, exactly what could happen is, uh, you know, people have been being able to pay 25% of their rent. Uh, they've used rental assistance. There's no more rental assistance left, but they haven't gotten their job back uh, uh, or they haven't gotten the number of hours back that they need. And uh, so, you know, we could be back uh, in a situation uh, where, you know, people are under uh, threat of eviction again because the moratorium will be over and there won't be any more rental assistance. Uh, right. That said, there is more rental assistance in the uh, Biden plan for, you know, further recovery. And so, you know, we may, um, you know, I'm hopeful that there will be more assistance coming from the federal government. Yes, because it sounds like we're certainly, Molly Solomon, not out of the woods in terms of a potential wave of summer evictions uh, once the moratorium ends. And then, of course, questions about how quickly we are rebounding as Carol Galante is laying out. Just really quick, I know you've also done quite a bit of reporting on this new legislation uh, with regard to debt relief. Is there anything that you want to add that maybe we haven't gotten to yet? Yeah, I mean, just sort of reiterating what, what Liam and, and Carol have talked about already. But, you know, I just think that there are a lot of people right now, you know, in the Bay Area and across California who are struggling right now, who, who are renters who perhaps were already having a difficult time or were paying, you know, more than half of their paycheck to rent before the pandemic. And, and now if they've lost their jobs or they've, you know, significantly reduced their hours, like we're talking about people who may have fallen behind on thousands of dollars of back owed rent. You know, a woman that I spoke with in, in San Leandro is, you know, already $10,000 behind. Uh, and, and, you know, right now she's not being evicted, you know, she's not facing an eviction, but I think there is this fear of what happens down the road, you know? So if this eviction moratorium gets extended and maybe gets lifted in the summer, 
you know, what, what happens then? Are people going to be in a position where they're going to be able to pay thousands of dollars that, that's due, uh, you know, and perhaps they've been, you know, doing other things like, like, like we've talked about where they've racked up, you know, their credit cards or they've now, you know, hurt their credit by taking out some sort of, you know, a payday loan or a high interest loan. Um, so, I mean, there are just really big ramifications for, for renters right now, I think down the road, you know, whether that's owing a significant amount of money, being in debt, you know, maybe being taken to court if they can't pay back that rent debt. Uh, and all of those things have consequences, you know, that's, that can hurt people's credit scores. Um, you know, if they do end up, you know, having an eviction mark on their record, that can be really damaging and make it a lot more difficult and harder for them to find future housing. Um, so I think all of these things are sort of weighing on people right now, whether it's something that they're currently, you know, dealing with or something that they're going to be dealing with in a couple months down the road. Well, this listener writes, I'm a landlord. Is there a way to separate corporate landlords from the individual small investors like me who rely on rent to cover expenses of property, taxes, utilities, maintenance? Rent is my income. Molly, do you know if there's a way to, or the, this is exclude some people who may not necessarily need it? Well, as I understand it, the way that the current law is written that just passed, you know, last week, um, is that there aren't any sort of restrictions, you know, on property owners, you know, it's not reserved just for small property owners to get this rent debt. Um, the one thing that is, you know, um, that is written into the, the new law and, and who gets access to that rent debt is that it is supposed to be for, you know, people that are low income renters. So I believe they have to be making 80% of the area's median income or less and the state has said that they're actually going to prioritize uh, people who are making 50% of the median income or less. Right. Um, so, so there aren't any restrictions right now on what property owners get access to, you know, some of this rent relief or this program that the state's, you know, setting up right now to get relief to rent or relief to landlords and renters. Um, but, but that's a good question. Let me go to Melissa in Hayward. Hi, Melissa. Hi, good morning, Nina. Hi, what's on your mind? I just wanted to share a little bit. Um, I've, I've been struggling for several months. I lost my job last June. Um, and I actually have made the commitment to stay up with my rent because I didn't want to put my landlords at uh, risk. They're, you know, family. And they, you know, mm. uh, I realize there's ramifications there. And so I went online recently uh, to try and look into some of the assistance that they offer. And I was a little bit taken aback because I wouldn't be able to apply unless I was um, unable to pay my rent from April 2020 to September 2020. So it appears to me that the grants that they're giving are, you know, uh, available, but you really have to be quite delinquent on your rent uh, in order to qualify. And you have to, pro you have to prove that. And in the end, they're only going to give you $2,500 grant. Um, which in my particular case, my rent is almost $2,000 a month and I'm a single mom. Wow, Melissa. So what does that mean for you then, if you don't mind my asking? I don't mind at all. That's why I called. Um, well, it means that I've ba basically burned through all my savings. Uh, I've maxed all my credit cards and I'm now um, humbly reaching out to family and friends because my EDD is frozen. Um, I'm sure I'm a very typical story, you know, for everyone uh, but I just wanted to share that because I just wanted people out there to know that they're not alone. Melissa, thanks. I appreciate your call. And Liam Dillon, you know, I'm struck by, as I listen to Melissa describe her situation, I know you've reported a lot on people who've had similar issues. 
But at the same time, there's almost like this split screen experience that's happening where you also have middle income earners who are working from home who appear to have a lot more mobility now. Yeah, let me. I want to speak a just a couple of things to the caller because I think it brings up a lot of issues that we're seeing right now. One is, Please. I believe, yeah, I believe, in, and maybe Carol can Molly can correct me if, I, if I'm wrong, but I believe the the state money for this current rent deal has not gone out yet. They're hoping to do so in March, and so uh, that would you know potentially allow the, the 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 caller to have access to new money. But that I also speaks to the fact that there's really been this patchwork this entire time of a variety of different assistance that's really unclear for people to know, A, what, the, what they're eligible for in the first place, and B, whether that's going to continue going forward. You know, I mean, we've had, you know, up and down in terms of additional uh, unemployment assistance, which has certainly been helpful in people keeping current on their rent, but those numbers have gone up and down and it's unclear. You know, the same with these eviction protections have been scheduled for say three, four months at a time, right? And then they have to be renegotiated with new different new rules. And so this uncertainty that people are facing, even when protections may ultimately come through, um, is like really you know, damaging for people to try to be able to kind of plan their lives and know how they're going to be able to, to deal with this when assistance, you know, may or may not ultimately be on the way. Um, and if it is on, on the way, it's ultimately confusing, very confusing to know what you're eligible for and then to access, right? And so like policymakers, you know, uh, certainly the pandemic and how long it's lasting and when people get vaccines in their arms and when this ends is obviously something we don't know. But the the, the, the patchwork measures that have been put into place are really making it hard for people to, to figure out um, what ultimately they're going to need to do um, to make sure they're current on their rent and all of their bills. And then on the other side of that, if you do need to leave to go to some more affordable places, right, to rent affordable places, yeah. it sounds like those are starting to become fewer uh, as a result of the fact that with a lot of people fleeing very high rents uh, in urban cities like San Francisco, of course, and Los Angeles, mm -hmm. even we've been seeing those drop. I've been hearing that rents are going up to the places that people would traditionally go to try to find something more affordable. Yeah, and that's certainly the case in some of the sort of the some of the smaller big cities, if you will, in California. I mean, you look at some of the numbers that Apartment List uh, uh, has put out uh, over the past year. Rents in Bakersfield are up eight percent. You know, rents in Fresno up eleven percent, second highest in the in the country uh, behind Boise. Rents in Sacramento um, also up uh, close to five percent. And so, some of these places that again people have been are seen as sort of have been more affordable um, than some of the coastal cities where there have been now major rent declines. Those places are now increasingly unaffordable for folks who were living there um, already um, and folks who may need uh, to be leaving some of the, the pricier coastal metros to try to find somewhere else to live in California. Let me go to Dee in Oakland. Hi, Dee. Hi. How are you? I'm, I uh, am a Bay Area native. I'm uh, in Oakland, and I own a, a small uh, six-unit building that my father built and passed on to me. I'm African-American. And this, what's happening to people like me whose parents and grandparents passed on generationally, a piece of property after they, after years of redlining that now are subject to not receiving rent, and this is the, the income that they receive to take care of themselves, is being snatched away by this idea that somehow 
renters have more rights to stay in your property and not pay you. And not and I have tenants that are working, they're going on vacation, they're getting stimulus checks, but they're not paying the rent. What is it how do I get protected? And my bank, yes, I can go forbearance and then I get to pass on that debt to my children. Dee, thanks. Let me get Carol Galante's reaction to what you're saying, because certainly, Carol Galante, we do not want a situation where you are seeing mass foreclosures uh, for landlords and, and other other times of very expensive things to get out of. Absolutely. I mean, I think um, one thing people need to understand is the vast majority of renters actually rent from small landlords uh, who, who don't own a lot of property. I mean, you know, people think about, you know, quote, greedy landlords. Uh, but the fact is that most people are renting from, you know, folks like this, um, this caller. And, uh, you know, th- th- those properties are uh, most definitely um, being impacted by, by this uh, pandemic. I would say that, again, the new state program, and I don't know whether uh, her tenants would qualify uh, for this. And, you know, it sounds like there's some that, you know, uh, are, are working and, and should be able to pay. At some point, um, you know, this eviction moratorium will end. And, uh, you know, people who have not had an impact uh, from the pandemic uh, and are not eligible for that renter's assistance, uh, you know, will uh, will face the music. And, uh, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's sad to see that there are people who, uh, you know, can afford to pay, perhaps pay the rent who are not. And, um, you know, this, this is problematic. Uh, it is hard to create, uh, you know, kind of laws and programs that protect the vast majority of good, good actors, both the landlords and the tenants. Um, and, you know, uh, unfortunately, I think in that some, some bad actors uh, get, um, you know, get get caught up and um, get get assistance that, frankly, they 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 shouldn't need, or get you know um, help, so to speak, that they shouldn't need. Let me go next to caller Andrew in San Jose. Hi, Andrew. Hey there. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm I'm a tenant renter, um, and I've been paying my rent this whole time during the pandemic. I've went through all of my savings. Um, just like the, I think the first caller stated, you know, did everything they could to make sure that paying rent, um, unfortunately, um, still getting ready to get a new job, but I can't pay the rent that's coming up. That's due. I was doing the first, um, and it's been a big struggle to figure out how to get the assistance even before, um, the new legislation passed, um, just last week, it's, it's taken me over three weeks now to try to get assistance and I'm still in process to get approved after sending all the paperwork that I need to send and everything else that needs to happen before I can get approved to get the help. Um, so I guess what I want, I wanted to share my story and also figure out why is it so difficult if we know we need all this help, we don't have a plan in place or a streamlined communication system to figure out how we're going to get the help. Like, I can't get a hold of anybody. I've been, I have to call twice a day, three times a day 
to get a hold of somebody. I have to send emails, and no one gets back to you. In some, in some cases, I'm only getting help from one place, is Sacred Heart Church, and because I live in a certain zip code. Like, why? Where is the communication to get a hold of these this assistance that people are looking for to help people? You know, like me and other everybody else is struggling. I know there's a lot of people, so that's why phone lines are tied up, but. If they know that all these people are going to be calling, like, what are we doing to make sure that we're, we're, you guys have the resources or somebody has the resources to help us out? Yes, and, and that people are getting access to it, people who need it. Molly Salman, are you hearing similar stories to Andrew's? Yeah, I mean, I think there's just like a real broad level of confusion about who to go to for help, how to get that help, and, and, and do you qualify for that help? Um, I mean, I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it really does speak to just this like patchwork of protections that have been put out, you know, not just the most recent ones, but just, you know, it's it's almost like there's a different rental assistance program or like stronger eviction protections, depending on like where you even live in the Bay Area. Like there's not really like a consistent place to go to or call. Um, and I think that's, you know, I've definitely heard that concern from from tenant groups that are kind of, you know, preparing for whenever the state does get this new, you know, uh, rent debt, you know, payout program set up. I think there's a big concern there that, you know, they, they really hope that it the process is simple, that it's easy to navigate and that people can get there. You know, I, I think there is a big concern that there's, you know, this big tent approach to it. The state is sort of, you know, taking the lead on this. Um, and, and what's going to happen, you know, are people going to fall through the cracks? Like, are are people going to actually be able to access that money? Is it going to get to them in a timely fashion that they're actually able to pay their, their debts in a, you know, in the time that they're needed? We're talking about the issues facing renters, landlords, and how the pandemic is altering the housing market. Stay with us for more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. I'm what you might call very good at hide and seek and since we got xfinity we have wi-fi all over the house even in my super secret hiding spots so i can kill time in here by streaming my favorite ha found you how you left to find my tablet on get wall-to-wall wi-fi on the xfinity 10g network restrictions apply not available in all areas actual speeds vary Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about how the pandemic has affected renters and landlords and shifted the housing market in significant ways. We're joined by Molly Solomon, housing affordability reporter for KQED News, Liam Dillon, statewide housing affordability and neighborhood change reporter for the LA Times, and Carol Galante, professor of affordable housing and urban policy and faculty director at the Turner Center for Housing Innovation at the University of California, Berkeley. Also, you, our listeners, are with us. How has the pandemic altered your housing situation? situation for better or worse. What role do you think government could play in helping people who are struggling? You can call us 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Carol Galante, I just want to take a moment to focus on some of the bigger things that have happened in the housing market that also has a role in affecting what we're hearing from tenants and landlords who are calling in. But there have been a lot of speculation about, you know, the impact of a large portion of workers working from home, what it could do to, you know, housing demand, where people, I, I just, where people are going. I, I just want to better understand what, what are some of the potential 
trajectories for California's housing crisis based on what the pandemic has exposed? Could you give us some insight? Sure. Well, I, I would say, first of all, it has exposed, uh, you know, a real dichotomy uh, and the inequality between, you know, those with higher incomes and those um, at moderate and lower uh, incomes. And uh, so the, you know, just, just talk about the ability to uh, telecommute or maybe move farther away, including out of state and, and still uh, be able to work from home. Uh, really, only people uh, with, you know, we've done some research on this, you know, uh, in jobs with uh, graduate degrees and um, bachelor's degrees tend to have jobs, you know, where they can have that kind of um, option. Uh, and that's only about a third of the working population. And so the fact is that some of those folks may move um, and we can talk about the the challenges of the loss of some of those folks to places like Austin, Texas. Uh, but on the other hand, most people uh, cannot move that far away uh, and and still be able to get to their jobs uh, that, that they still have or the jobs that are available uh, to them in, in the future. And so I think that is why you're seeing um, more people uh, move to the Central Valley from, from the coast. Uh, but I think that has serious consequences over the longer term for those households and for our economy that and for our climate. I mean, that means those folks are generally uh, not going to be telecommuting uh, to their jobs in Silicon Valley. They're, they're going to have to be going to work there when um, when work returns more full on uh, the service work that they they do or uh, you know nursing or teaching all all of those things and so um, you know I'm concerned that it really impacts um, you know their lives by uh, these longer commutes that will uh, and the cost of those longer commutes and uh, it certainly will work against our uh, climate. Uh, change goals. So, um, you know, I think um, I think it just is exposing, you know, some some very serious uh, challenges that we're still going to need to pay significant attention to uh, moving forward. And I mean, even before this situation, before the pandemic, we were talking about the need to increase our housing stock to build more housing, and there were some efforts being undertaken at the state level to try to boost home building. And where are we with that? And is that still the answer? Is there still as much of a sense of urgency around that? Carol Galante? Well, I would say this, first of all, I still think uh, it's urgent. Uh, I still think, you know, based on data, we are decades behind um, housing affordably our uh, population in the state of California. And yes, you've seen a lot of uh, press around uh, people leaving, uh, but I do, uh, you know, we're, we're not, when we get back to a, a fuller economy and it may be a few years, uh, 
the population of this state uh, has continued to grow and we're behind on the amount of homes that we need. So we still need to be putting significant effort into uh, production. And um, I would say there has been less urgency at in the state legislature this past year. And part of that is understandable given the shortness of the legislative session, the pandemic, the emergency, you know, we've had a we've had an emergency that uh, it's like a natural disaster that has to be dealt with. Um, and so I can understand why, you know, some level of uh, taking the eye off the production ball has occurred. Uh, but I really do uh, hope and believe we need to get back to that um, this legislative session. Let me go to caller Catherine in Oakland. Hi, Catherine. Hi there. Um, I was just wondering, I'm listening to your show and I'm listening to all of these people who are not able to pay their rent. And I am in the very enviable position of, of having my job. I, my income hasn't changed and I do have income that I would like to donate to people who are having this, you know, the, going through these difficult times. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if there are places, you know, if you know of organizations where people like me can donate and t- try to um, contribute to help these people out of their um, situations. Catherine, thank you. Molly Solomon, do you have anything for Catherine? Yeah, thanks so much for calling, Catherine. I know there are like a lot of mutual aid programs that have gotten started to help right now, especially because so many people are struggling at the moment. Um, I think, you know, there's kind of depends on on where you live. But, you know, we've talked with uh, a lot of the groups that have been charged with getting people you know, who, who need it right now, you know, assistance uh, are, are like local nonprofits in your region. You know, I think we'd done a story a couple weeks back on efforts in the South Bay, uh, you know, just to name a few. Destination Home, I know, has been really working with a lot of extremely low income renters in their area um, to get the money that's that's not just used for, for rent, but that's used for really anything that they need right now, whether that's getting groceries or um, you know, paying for the gas in their car to get around. Um, and, and I do know that there are a lot of other, uh, San Francisco has a pretty uh, robust fund to assist with a lot of different things, including rental assistance right now. Uh, and, and they have, I think, a philanthropic arm that's helping them raise money locally. Um, so that's another place to look. Um, but yeah, I would say you know, it, it's it's confusing, just like everything else that we've been talking about in this hour. Um, but if you look locally, or if you even want to, you know, direct messages after the show and let us know a little bit more about where you are living, maybe we could help uh, help you connect with some folks that we've been talking to who are doing this work on the ground. Well, let me go to caller Rick in Oakland now. Hi, Rick. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I'm a small rental housing provider here in Oakland as well. And I think it's been a great discussion. I just want to kind of take a step back and talk a bit about the context and kind of posture of some of these laws. So, you know, we think about it, and obviously there's a health care crisis going on, but government doesn't pass laws that punish health care providers. Yet, if you look at a lot of the kind of uh, the, these laws around these eviction moratoriums, they're really designed to kind of punish rental housing providers. And, you know, the reason, or I'm not, I don't know the reason, I, obviously it's politics, but um, if you look at this, this, these ideas that even when this state program gets going, uh, it is only eligible for folks who are 80% or lower of the, uh, of the income thresholds, and they're only paying 80% of the amount due. 
So, you know, for my building, I have, you know, $400 a month in, um, in water bills, about $300 a month in garbage. And all of that money is due. Uh, the banks still want their money. Even if I uh, defer it, it's still accruing interest. And the state has essentially said, well, sorry, even though 100% of your bills are due, we're only going to pay you 80%. So there's this kind of, I don't know, I, I just want to talk about the kind of antipathy, I think, that is embedded in many of these laws towards rental housing providers that are providing a key service to the community. Do you do you know if you will apply for it or if you will work with your tenants to do that debt relief, even though it is 80%, Rick? I, I absolutely will try. I don't know if they qualify, uh, but, mm. you know, the problem is that, you know, as one other caller said, that they're the, some of the laws that were passed were so generic and so general and had no protections for essentially giving away a rental property owner's money. Um, because, you know, you think about it, if, if you have um, a low-income person and they want to get some grant or a reduction in their PG&E or whatever it might be, the onus is on them to show that they are needy and show that they, uh, there's some means testing. So they need to provide information about their income, et cetera. But when these local governments and the state passed all of these eviction moratoriums, they basically just said everyone gets you know, free rent and uh, there's no recourse. Uh, there's no test. There's no documentation. So it sets up a situation that's just rife for abuse. And I think, you know, unfortunately, it's by design because, once again, if you look at the way it's structured, it's really designed to punish rental housing providers. I don't know how else to interpret it. Liam Dillon, do you have a reaction? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I sympathize with, with landlords who are concerned about folks who may be taking advantage of the situation and then not being able to prove uh, that some of the, their tenants may be facing uh, hardships uh, outside of a courtroom. But that latter point is still true outside of a courtroom. I mean, in a courtroom, you know, now landlords don't believe that their tenants uh, have been financially affected by the virus. They are allowed to file an eviction case. Um, that's true. Um, they certainly will be able to do so at the end, right? I mean, I think, like, I, I, again, I sympathize with with the bills, and I think that's obviously a very fair argument. But I think, in, in addition, you know, part of what was motivating uh, lawmakers at all levels here was, you know, this sort of public health issue where the um, advice from every leader was that you need to stay in your house, um, and if you are 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 kicked out of your house. That not only is an economic problem for you during this time, but that's a public health problem for you and for literally the entire community. Um, and so I think in these conversations, it's important to keep in mind that some of the issues here are beyond just the economics of uh, paying rent and paying bills for everybody. But literally staying in your house is, is in some ways a requirement uh, to making sure that we stop the continued spread or slow the continued spread of this virus. Liam Dillon is a statewide housing affordability and neighborhood change reporter for the Los Angeles Times. Molly Solomon is housing affordability reporter for KQED News. And Carol Galante is also with us, professor of affordable housing and urban policy and faculty director at the Turner Center for Housing Innovation at UC Berkeley. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. And we have several comments coming in. Let me just read a few. Anne writes, life is hell as a renter in the Bay Area. You're always just hanging on by the skin of your teeth. We need to differentiate bigger developers who I'm sorry to say should have to suffer some just pain from small landlords. If there will be large scale public money spent, I would like to see it not used to bail out big developers, but rather to somebody 
to somehow help struggling renters to own something and improve their stability moving forward. Curtis writes, the logic of paying 80% of the back rent while requiring a waiver of 20% has no basis in reality or economics. There is no reason why landlords couldn't be made whole. The pandemic affects everybody, and the economic impact of lost rent is as damaging to the economy and recovery as lost wages. Tony writes, I own and rent out a home in Northern California that I depend on for my retirement. I have kept the rent low, take care of renters, and keep the dwellings up to date. With the current support, renters cannot pay rent and ultimately move out. I will likely be forced to sell the houses. Higher income investors will buy it, fix it up, and sell, further driving up housing costs or raise the rent. Let me go to Mike in Alameda. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, so I just wanted to comment real quick on what I've been hearing from some of the landlords. It's a little, a little disturbing in a, in, in a few different ways, but mainly... I'm a former building owner myself, and I want to say first, I didn't have the luxury of, of inheriting it, but um, I also sold it when it came time to sell. But, I mean, landlords in the Bay Area have been running up prices so high, and even the small ones, they're all to blame for this you know, crisis right now. That's why people can't afford their rents now. They're so high and absurd because people have been gouging rents for, for over a decade, you know, two, two or three decades we're talking. I mean, it's been out of control for a long time. So it's a little, it's, it's just a little hypocritical to, to start complaining about, uh, you know, people not being able to pay their rent and, and how the, the landlord's suffering. You know, I mean, I always worked, uh, you know, on top of, of, of being a building owner and manager. So it was just, you know, I, that's what you got to do. You know, it's a, uh, you shouldn't rely on this for uh, uh, your sole uh, economic support in my opinion, but I don't know. That's all. I just had a quick comment for you. Thanks. Yeah. Mike, appreciate you weighing in with that. And I just wanted to ask you, Carol Galante, based on what we have seen in terms of trying to offer the right kinds of supports, either for renters or for landlords, what policy directions in your view has this reinforced as the right directions to take? And what do you think is necessary to address some of the concerns as the trajectory of this housing crisis at this point is still really unclear and potentially could worsen uh, as a result of the pandemic? Well, let me start by saying, I think part of the challenge here is everybody is suffering, you know, tenants are suffering, landlords are suffering. And, you know, from the very beginning, I have been an advocate for, we need to help everybody stay in place. Um, we need to help landlords be able to continue to pay their bills. We need to help tenants be able to stay in their homes. Um, because if we don't, uh, and you've heard this from some of the commentary, the consequences uh will be even more disastrous than if we just try to hold everybody steady, meaning people will lose their properties. Um, and I agree with that caller who said, you know, if they lose their property, um, who's going to end up buying that property and, you know, holding it, um, you know, buying it at a low value and holding it until the economy comes back and then jack the rents up again. So that is not a good situation. Uh, so I really, do think uh, the government, the state government, local government, federal government need to do everything possible to keep everybody as whole as possible. And the fact is that 
we're not going to be able to make, we're not going to have enough money to make everybody 100% whole. Everybody is going to have to suffer. A little, I mean, my view would be everyone's going to have to suffer a little bit, um, but let's try to make that suffering a little bit uh, for everyone. And um, I do think that is the approach I, I you know i hear this this is supposed to be a punishment to landlords i don't think that's the way the state of california sees it at all in the way they've structured the the program that's um hopefully going to be available by by march 15th you know the the 20 percent is uh uh, that that landlords have to be um, for landlords have to forgive is supposed to be you know kind of their contribution to the problem. You know tenants still have to pay at least twenty five percent of their rent to stay, um, you know to to keep the protection of of the eviction moratorium. So everybody has to um, to give a little because I otherwise don't see there being enough money coming from the federal government to make this work. Well, Carol Galante, thanks for leaving us with those thoughts. Again, Carol Galante, Professor of Affordable Housing and Urban Policy at UC Berkeley. Also want to thank Liam Dillon of the Los Angeles Times and Molly Solomon of KQED as well for your insights. Blanca Torres produced today's segment. Thanks to our listeners for their stories, their questions, and their comments. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How?! You'll left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2. New Folsom, a story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.